Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest this week is engineer Dennis Moody. But first of all, for the first time, there has been no new rock or metal albums this year on the Billboard Top 200. Even with big releases from the Foo Fighters and Iron Maiden and Greta Van Fleet and Mammoth WVH, rock is barely seen on this chart. Now, there are rock albums that are on this chart, but there are old ones for the most part. Greatest Hits albums from Queen and Fleetwood Mac and Journey made the cut. Nirvana's Nevermind and Metallica's Black Album and ACDC's Back in Black also found their way back to the top 200. But there are no new rock or metal albums. This is the first time this has ever happened. It turns out that the Billboard year-end albums chart is dominated by pop and hip-hop. But the number one spot was taken by Morgan Wallen's Dangerous Double Album. The rest of the top five features Olivia Rodrigo, Pop Smoke, Taylor Swift, and Drake. In the UK, it's a little bit different, though. Rock dominated the first couple months of 2021. You Me at Six, Bring Me the Horizon, Architects, Mogwai, and Foo Fighters all hit the number one spot in the UK album charts. Now, just to show you what a weird year it's been, Adele's 30 is the only album this year to sell a million copies in the U.S. The last album to do that was Taylor Swift's Folklore last year. A million sales might happen in a good week during the peak years of physical sales, but it's a rare occurrence today. My, how things have changed. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Don't forget about my online courses on mixing, production, branding, and music business success at bobbyosinskicourses.com. Also, get an expert analysis and objective opinion of your songs and mixes as a member of my Hitmakers Club. Go to hitmakersclub.com to learn more. Now, speaking of the end of the year and speaking of hit records... Let's take a look at the state of sampling. 14% of the Billboard hits sample from other songs. 54% of the top 25 new albums also contain at least a sample. 48% of hip-hop hits are all based on a sample. The average year that's sampled is 1992, but the most popular decades are the 70s, the 90s, and the 2010s. There are some trends that are pretty interesting, though. For instance, sampling song titles. The other one is vocal stabs instead of horn stabs. Now, when you think about it, TikTok is all about sampling. You're looking at very, very short pieces of songs. There's a school of thought that says Gen Z has been schooled on samples from TikTok, and that very well may be true. As much as many musicians and people that like to create music like to think that sampling may be a thing of the past, in fact, its use is growing. It's the basis of so many hits today, and it's not going to go away. My guest this week is my good friend for many years, Dennis Moody, who's also appeared on the very first episode of the Inner Circle podcast, as well as number 100, 200, and 300. This is episode 399. 
And I'm going to change things up starting on episode 400. So I wanted to bring Dennis back on to sort of close out an era. Dennis is known as the drummer's engineer, having worked on projects by master drummers like Dave Weckl, Steve Gadd, and Michael White, among others. He's also one of the few studio engineers that also excels as a live concert engineer, having mixed at most of the major U.S. venues from Carnegie Hall to Madison Square Garden to the L.A. Forum, as well as most of the major concert venues throughout Europe, including Wembley Arena, Royal Albert Hall, and other venues for shows that have up to 250,000 in attendance. He's also mixed thousands of Broadway-style musicals, large and small orchestral shows, plays, and live broadcasts worldwide. During the interview, we spoke about working during COVID, some of his recent interesting gear finds, working with Missy Elliott, the future of recording studios, and much more. I spoke with Dennis via Zoom from a studio just outside of Hollywood. Let's go to the last time you were on the podcast was like four years. No, couldn't have been. Three years ago, I think. And then in between there, we've had COVID, which changed everything. How did that affect you? Well, it affected me pretty strongly because I got it. In fact, today is the one-year anniversary of me catching it. I was doing a session at my studio, and uh, everybody had agreed to get tested. But one person ran out of time but they were quarantining for a week. Uh, and so as people were coming in, the drummer came in, the, the bass player, the singer came in, uh, and then the guitar player came in. Everybody showed me their COVID tests, but he goes, oh, been so busy, but I've been locked in my room doing these arrangements, so I'm cool. Well, three of us got it from him, and, for, and very fortunately, one person didn't, who will rename who will remain nameless, but um, it was a pretty scary thing, you know, so. How ill were you? Uh, I was, it's more than a flu, definitely. It's the weirdest feeling. It's, it doesn't feel anything like the flu. I was down for about three weeks, pretty, pretty down, um, you know, coughing, dizzy, no appetite, pains, aches, fatigue memory loss. Uh, and then I got a little better, but I still had some things for months. I had, I had fatigue, stabbing pains all over, head, migraines, worst migraine I ever had in my life. And I went to see my dad, who's now almost 92, which is great. We, I just saw him a couple days ago, actually. It's down in Torrance. And on my birthday in April last year, he said, Aren't, aren't you glad we're all vaccinated? Now we can visit. And I go, well, dad, I had COVID and my doctor suggested that I wait, you know, and before I get the vaccine, he goes, you're not coming here. <laughs> not a chance. So I said, well, let me get the J&J uh, because it's the, you know, it's old school technology. And I, I knew that it would work for me so my doctor recommended i get that one too i got it 48 hours after i got that everything went away it was almost like a cure wow it was amazing actually i couldn't believe how it all the symptoms went away and they pretty much stayed away since it's been you know eight months did it affect your hearing while you 
what had the symptoms (laughs) what no it uh didn't no or my taste or my smell i did i had all those facilities still but i was curious that maybe it did maybe i'm just uh, adjusted to it maybe it did something that i don't know my mixes seem okay people are liking what i'm doing so it it didn't but i've always been concerned about this very frightening getting it because you don't know you know i'm Three days in, four days in, I feel okay. And then day five, worst migraine of my life, you know, that went on for about four days. So, and I I couldn't work, you know, I couldn't do anything. Just lying in bed, so. Okay, well, since then, since things are starting back up again, I've seen that you've done some live gigs and I've seen that you've been in the studio quite often. How's that working then? Well, the live gigs are mostly, guess where? Texas and Florida. <laughs> I've probably been to about eight times each in the last five months since this year started to pick up. I'd say around May, I started doing the gigs again and got really, really busy. Every weekend I was out with doing gigs with Keiko Matsui, Rick Braun, who else? Patty Austin, Oingo Boingo guys, the Oingo Boingo former members band. And it's not been any problem. And and I feel pretty confident because most of the audience members for these kind of shows are over 50 anyway, over 50, 55. And most of those people have been vaxxed. So I feel pretty comfortable being in there. Still mask up, even in Texas during the show. Uh, Florida, we had an outside show. So, you know, nice little breeze. Didn't need to. But I'm still watching out for myself. You know, it's still out there. Yeah. It hasn't gone away. So, but I've been busy. Studio, people are getting very comfortable being into in the rooms together again. And m- most people have been vaccinated or have had it. I've done tracking dates with about four people. I haven't done any huge tracking dates here, um, but mostly about four people. They're spread out enough. And everybody, like I say, everybody's been immunized against it. So, you know, so, so far it's starting to pick up. It's It's been feeling really good getting back to work. I've talked to a, a lot of people and it seems like almost business as usual. I mean, obviously, you know, there's the precautions that everyone's taking, but that aside, you know, everyone's getting as busy as they used to and social distancing during sessions and mixing without people around for the most part. Actually, it's an incentive. I, I enjoy mixing on my own you know, and getting it worked up because with the client there, attended sessions always take longer. I'm sure, you know, for obvious reasons, because you have to explain everything you're doing. And I'm fine with the clients being here, but it takes longer. And in the end, you leave and then you go, okay, and you have five revisions after that you end up sending. So I I just worked with this group called um, NOLA Resistance. Uh, New Orleans, NOLA Resistance, which had some of the uh, heritage jazz band in it. It had um, Ivan Neville singing lead, Wynton Marcellus on trumpet, and uh, we're mixing two tunes. And they came, they flew from New Orleans, came here for a couple days to do the mix with me, and we just totally connected uh, creatively. So they just loved what I was offering them. They didn't have too much to say. Uh, And I told them, 
look, I'm going to go OCD on this after you guys leave. I'm going to sleep on it overnight and I'm going to make some revisions to send you. So by the time they left the next day and landed, I probably sent them three revisions, <laughs> OCD version number one. <laughs> but you know how it is. You can, with Pro Tools, you know, you can go in and work on a mix till it's beat to death, you know, and is it going to get better? Certain point, it just gets different, you know. It doesn't really get better; it gets different. But they're all good. So, are you totally in the box? I'm mixing totally in the box now. Yeah, I don't go. I don't use it. I mean, I have all the stuff, but I don't. I don't uh, utilize it anymore. I just go with the, the box. It's so much easier, you know. It's, and it's 100% recall, you know, to the tenth of a dB, you know, or more. Who knows? It's funny because everyone's tastes have changed over the last few years where there used to be some pushback on the sound. It doesn't sound like analog. And now nobody really cares. The same with plugins. It's like they're close enough and everybody's happy. Yeah. I say it's the gear, not the gear. Yeah. It's it's the ear, not the gear. And I use stock digi plugins. I start with them all the time. And if I want something, I'll use a Fairchild uh, plug-in or something. I put a Fairchild 660 in the vocal to smooth it out because it has a sound. I use the API 550A on the on the snare if I want to get a little more crack out of it, a little more presence sizzle. Uh, kick drum, I'll use a Pultec. It's not the fancy tube one. It's got a silver front got a treble and a bass on it but it works great it works great for adding presence to a kick drum or a bass and and that's about it i, I have all of them i just did uh redid my whole system in uh, april or may i new computer new monitor new pro tools got a chassis for a card and it took about a month to re- really work it out oh, and i went crazy with plugins <laughs> that's fun some I'll never use, but I some I found some really really great ones. So yeah, we'll see. You've always been a big fan of Altiverb. Is that still your go-to for for reverb? Yes, it is. Um, but I'm a little disappointed because I have HD Pro Tools and I paid extra for HD, quite a bit extra to get the HD and all the facilities. But they don't make. Uh, I don't know. I don't see it as an option to have it. You know. Um, HD version. It's only native. And this is a problem because I used to use it to track and there'd be no latency because it'd work off the Avid card. Now it's working off the computer card. And even with a fancy, you know, high processing computer, you still get a little bit. So I'm, a lot of the plugins that were both are now not both. So that's my job. And I've assigned myself this job in January sit down at my desk, contact every one of those manufacturers of the plugins that I have and ask them if there is an, uh, you know, if they do have that, they just don't advertise it. Uh, maybe I can get the HD versions and, uh, you know, I'm willing to pay the extra for it because it makes it so much more um, flexible for my needs. You know, even the click track now, the clicks are off of, off of the processor of the computer. So you've, put the click on and you see the delay compensation immediately add time to it. And that goes, you can't have that. Yeah. Yeah. Not with the click. Every time I talk to you, 
you've always come up with some new hardware, some new microphones or preamps or something, generally at a great price. I don't know where you find this stuff. So what's the latest? Oh, you're going to be shocked. <laughs> this one. <laughs> a friend of mine, uh, Dave Lopez, he's a drummer. He played with Solomon Burke for a while, and he plays with Mickey Free. Uh, he helped me build my studio here. You know, we both have, um, we love doing that building stuff. So I asked him if he'd come help me. He also helped me build Dave Weckl's studio uh, back in 2000. But he called me one day and said, hey, this friend of mine got hired by this lady up by, right by the Greek theater. Her brother had passed away and he had a bunch of musical gear there and they just want to get rid of it. So there's going to be some great deals. So I got, um, I said, well, okay, what is, he has a console. I don't know what it is. It's 32 channel. It's a, um, it's a, not an AMAC. What's the AMAC? Uh, oh, TAC. TAC, uh, uh, Aurora, 36 channel, 500 bucks. Huh. I got that for, I'm trying actually to get Andre, our tech, to uh, look at it. I, I, I got it because I wanted to put it out in the desert at my house and build the studio. But after being, I, I got this near the beginning of the lockdown. So now that I've been out there and spent 16 months pretty much full time out there, I realized that everybody and their brother has a studio out there and no one's going to drive two hours to, to go do a tracking date. And a console like that's for tracking, you know, it's not a mixing console. So I'm going to sell it. And I think it's going to be a uh, pretty, I should be able to do pretty good with it but two things i got that were shocking i got a pair of um tannoy studio gold monitors Ooh, yeah wow <laughs> okay getting down 100 bucks for the pair oh you're killing me yeah four grand on ebay i see him and i got another one i bought this one they were begging me to take it and i go what am i going to do with this studio uh the ti yuri timeline 813s oh. a pair hundred bucks oh yeah they're worth about four, yeah. four grand also you know so we just need to spec inspect them and make sure they're working i also got a two inch uh lyric l-y-r-e-c oh yeah yeah the swedish or finnish yeah right the two inch 24 track zero headwear i can i mean i've for decades used two inch you can tell when there's a little wear the top edge on track one and 24 are just flat as a pancake there's no edge wear on it at all and i was going to use that the remote's a little beat up but the it looks great i was going to use it just to transfer tapes back to digital but again i'm not even gonna i'm, I'm gonna get rid of all of it like that i got a couple re10s from another one a great mic like did i talk to you since i bought the microphones no yeah, this buddy of mine passed away at uh, some health issues. He passed away. And so I said, wow, you know, someone called, do you want to buy his mics? And I go, sure. So I got his mics. I think I got 1600 bucks. I just got them all and I pieced them out. And I think they're worth about five grand, 4,800. I, I got them too. There's a couple 460s. There's a KM84, mm. a couple mics I wouldn't use, but I got them. So it's really nice. Yeah. 451s, pair of 451s, um, D112, uh, 
yeah, bunch of stuff. So I got some great deals on that. Yes, Defi- definitely. And I'm, that keeps me happy. When I, go, okay, I got this good stuff now. Did you buy anything new, brand new? Yes. Well, gear besides the Pro Tools, no, no. I got the newest computer. I got the uh, i7 chip, last version of the Mac Mini. Yeah. At that total catalog. I bought it refurbed from Apple, um, which is a great way to do it because yeah. the prices are competitive with what you can get out there. And and they warrant you have a three-year uh, Mac, you know, what do they call it, the, the, the Apple Care. I got the new card chassis. I got a card, but hardware, uh, no mics and stuff new that I can think. Of. I am considering uh, right before this all slowed down, um, I was going to buy a U67 reissue. And as we know from Mose Al Schmidt, you know, ha- having lunch with him over at the hangs, the, the engineer hangs at the restaurants, he told me. You can't tell the difference. Yeah, yeah. There's no difference. He goes, these things are as good as the original. In fact, I was at Capitol a couple weeks ago doing a session, and they told me that they just put the reissues out, and no one notices the, you know, they don't notice the difference. So I was going to get one, but I don't know now. I have to see what what comes up, you know. Yeah, well, you need a reason to use it. If you're going to use stuff like that, then there's no problem, but. It's going to sit. It's not worth it. A lot of money in that. And I'm finding my 414s are giving me some great vocal sounds now. I put them in my GML mic pre, and I use a 160X on it because I like its speed. Yeah, It's a, it's a solid state, but it works really well for me. I did get a Leslie, 133 Leslie speaker for organ. Yeah. Hammond, I have the Hammond someone gave me, and I got the Leslie 1958 tubes, and it's uh, really great. But I just got it at the beginning. Oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to get this thing working. So, in a couple months, when all this is over, well, it's been a couple of years now, and I haven't used it. Uh, I need one cable to connect it to use, but still, I'm never going to use it. You know, it's just, there's too many great sounds that you can get digitally now that people are. They just don't go for that stuff. Yeah, it's a real shame, too, because there's nothing like the real thing. But on the other hand, if you can get close enough, no one can tell the difference. Yeah, yeah. I get, those are great. I might I might get it. It just cost me a few hundred bucks. I have to have a custom cable made. Once I get that done, I may actually put it to use and see if I can get it, get it working and used. You know, have my piano. If you're going to sell it, it's probably you can probably get more for the combination than you can if you part it out, I'm sure. Well, the person I bought it from, I promised I'd give it back to her, sell it back to her if I do sell it. But mm. I'll see what happens, you know. We'll have to see. My piano's been getting some use lately, too. I had that beautiful nine-foot grand piano, and everybody come out and use it, you know. And yeah. I'm I getting some calls for that lately, which is really nice. It's a beautiful piano and a big investment. and. I, I want people to use it. It's a great piano. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny how that's all changed because once upon a time, no matter how big or how small a studio you had, you needed to have a real piano, real grand piano, to be considered serious. That's right. I still think that. Yeah, but you do, and you come from the generation that thinks that, but if you you look at the newer people coming up, that's 
not the case at all because they're used to doing everything in the box. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a plug. And someone called me yesterday. What was the best place to download instrument plugins? And like, oh, <laughs> if you want to come use my piano, you're welcome. Do you use many plugins when you're recording just out of curiosity? No, none. Uh-uh. Except for reverb. And there goes the difference in philosophy between now and when we were coming up. A good friend of mine who's won many Grammys as an engineer, uh, he had a studio out in Thousand Oaks, and he uh, got Britney Spears to come in to do vocals because she lived close to there and she didn't want to go to Hollywood. So he rented a beautiful C12, plugged it into his 1073 with an LA-2 in between, and, and it was just what they wanted, or what he thought they wanted, and he said it was sounding great. And she came in, and she started to sing, and he said it sounded so bad, he was embarrassed. He thought something was broken all of a sudden. And nobody noticed. Nobody said a word, so he didn't either. And at the end of the session, he went over to the producers, a younger producer, he went over and he looked at the session. He opened it up and looked at it to see what he was doing, and there are five plugins that he was recording through. And oh. some of the EQs were doing the opposite thing. So one was boosting at 3K, and then he had another one right after that that was cutting at 3K and just, you know, some ridiculous stuff. So he bypassed them all, and sure enough, there was the beautiful sound that we're all used to. Wow, yeah. You know, difference in philosophy. and I have a story yeah. about that uh, once. I don't know if I've told you this. I worked with Missy Elliott, and, you know, that record sold... 10 million copies, misdemeanor. Yeah. And I recorded vocals on one tune. I came in, I had an M49, maybe it was an M149, still a great mic, through a GML with an LA-2A. Right? And I come in, well, what about this? What do they use? They use a C800, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. Like, okay, uh, whatever. And they use a Avalon 737 yep. unit on one and she goes well i usually use this and i go listen to this let me record a pass you know and you come and listen and you tell me what you think i go this sounds a hundred times better than that combination and you're going to stand out as being unique and different because your vocals sound better than and not like everyone else's and she goes yeah that's great you know and the thing sold i don't know i seven million copies, 10 million copies, something like that. Yeah. And when I hear the CD, I can hear the difference, you know, the other one's thin and they, they have a sound, you know, for that kind of music. But it always made me wonder why that combination became so popular. It was it the fact that somebody had a hit with that combination and everybody decided they wanted to copy it or what? Because a 737, when it first came out, everybody was kind of hot on it, and then they went, well, it really doesn't sound all that great. They're functional. Yeah. You know, so, no, and then I have the M5, you know, it's much better, uh, much better pre. I have two of those, and it's much better than 737. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I have the 2099, 2088 uh, compressor with it. I mean, I just... I don't know. I think it's because the mic looks cool that with the big fin coming out of the back. Yeah. And then the Avalon, it's because everybody has one. That's right. A Sony guy told me that the placement of that is really important. And you have to have it exactly level 
Otherwise, the frequency response changes. The reason why is there's fluid inside. Uh-huh. The fluid level is going to change as you change the level of the mic, and therefore it heats up differently, and the frequency response changes. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting, yeah. yeah. I always turn uh, on tube gear early, before at least 20 minutes before I start a session. It has to warm up yeah. before it sounds. That's interesting, yeah. And now Warm Audio made a clone of that one that everybody's jumping on because it's, you know, one-tenth the price. Um, I don't know uh, how that one is. I mean, I, I like Warm Audio. I'm a big fan of Bryce and what he's trying to do there. But I'll tell you, I got the 87 copies. And if there's anything with a lot of high energy, high mid-range energy, they, you can hear the mics resisting that and not, not clipping but uh they, they have a funny sound in the high mid-range now they've made a revision and released the wa 87-2 and i don't know if they've did it because they addressed that issue or or not but i haven't had a chance to talk to bryce over there every time i go to dallas i call them and say, hey, you want to come to a show? And then I just wanted to talk to them about ideas because I have a lot of ideas for them. But they're going for the market value, which I understand. You know, they have to send out stuff that people want. Yeah. Not, uh, I, I recommended a C24 clone. Mm, yeah. Awesome. But who's going to use it? Me. Yeah. I mean, you'd use it over on overheads. That's one place where you can tell people to do it. But the problem is... There's not as many people tracking drums as there used to be, which is actually bringing us to something that we began to talk about before we begin to record here, and that's the future of recording studios. Yeah, well, that's a big thing that I'm going through now, you know. I mean, I used to be booked here five to six days a week, and now it's six days a month. And, you know, as I told you, I have my new system. I take my Mac Mini and plug four wires. I put it in my little suitcase. I go to the desert, plug in four wires, and I'm working. Same, It's the same system out there. So I can do a lot of stuff out there, mixing, editing, even a little recording if I have to, but I don't like to out there. I don't know what's going to happen here. It's really hard to say. It's not going to be like it was. If it is, it's going to take a couple of years, just like when the ADATs and at the home studio thing came in. Everybody said, we don't need you anymore. We have a home studio. Then all of a sudden there's this big, uh, we'd need studios. We're not getting the quality of the, the productions that we used to have. You know, let's all get in the same room together and, and really make some music. And in doing so, um, I think people are going to get tired of the sterile sound and want to come back into the studio uh, environment and work together again to, to, to track. So it may take a couple of years, though. Yeah, but, you know, the way I see it is that's assuming there's still players that play with other people. Yeah. And there's fewer of those. I mean, you, you get people that know how to play guitar or, you know, keyboards or whatever, but they don't often play with anything other than themselves with tracks. And as you know it's completely different when you get other people together and trying to lay in with everybody. Yeah. But if they're qual, I mean, if they have a creative mind, you know, they, they know the interaction is what makes it. So it, it might take a minute, but 
I agree. Yeah. There's a special thing, uh, to, to work together, you know, and I, I, I hope, I hope we get busy like we were, but I'm not, I'm not expecting it. I'm, I hope it comes up 50% even. I hope I get back to, you know, three band tracking dates a, a, a week here. You know, I've got, I've been doing quite a few, but. The big studios are busy, but they're not busy with long projects. And this has been for a while, really, where, you know, they'll, they'll get something, they'll come in, they'll track for a week, and everybody will go back to their own studios and do all the overdubs and, and mixing, and they won't see them, but they are busy. You know, it's not like you can call up anywhere and, and get in, like, today. So, you know, they're, they're busy enough. Unless they call me, because I can hook them up today. <laughs> yeah, I see. <laughs> but next week I can't. You know, last week I couldn't. I had a, a three-week project in here and going on about uh, three months ago, three or four months ago. I did a big project with uh, Tris Imboden on drums and you know Vern Porter on bass and producing. And we had uh, Righteous Fred Bill Medley came in and sang. Richard Page was in here. This is funny too richard page came in and they just they cut the tracks live and i had him in my little booth you know in between the glass and he uh, i had a 58 up there for just a guide vocal and he went home and tried to redo his vocal he said he couldn't even come close to it the sound the performance even with a little bit of leakage on it you know he uh, he said we got to use that. And I go, great. That's great. You know, that last big project I had in here that was more than one, one or two days. Yeah. Is anyone asking you for Atmos or immersive audio? No, no. I have a funny thought on that. Remember when uh, quad came out, Sure. you know, and, and this Atmos is so expensive. I mean, it's, I don't believe it can catch on as a, it's going to be a high end consumer product because the regular consumers can't afford, you know, all that system and setting it up and special amps. I might be completely wrong, or maybe there's something about it. I misunderstand, but I know the Sony music hall in New York city where I've been, did a couple shows there uh, a couple of years, you know, before we stopped doing this and they said you want to use atmos we have it available on this the uh not the cl5 the one after the cl5 the the yamaha they have atmos on it and they mm. said once you commit you can't go back to stereo and i go i can't do that because i don't know it well enough to be able to if i don't like it i'm stuck with it or if it's not working i'm stuck with it so i thought about that how are people going to afford it consumers. Any thoughts on that? What do you think? Well, if we talk about live, have you been following the L Acoustics Elisa? Uh -uh. Okay, that's something you should look at because it is very interesting. They really have this down. The whole idea is they start with seven channels across the front. Okay. And what they found is that unlike stereo, which only works for a little bit of the audience, this can cover 90-some percent, and people get the feel of immersion. And then they'll put speakers and the sides in the back, and they can dial it in real fast. I've been out to the factory. Actually, you know what? We should do that at some point. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll go out there because they have a, a setup that's very interesting. And now what they did as well is they came out with a studio version. So you can dial in everything 
before you actually go on the road. Wow. Yeah. And it's very cool. That's interesting. Yeah. I'd love to check that out. So let's live. As far as consumer is concerned, the hopes are on the sound bars. Not only sound bars, but Bluetooth speakers, especially using Bluetooth 2, 2.0, which is, you know, audio, everything, basically. They're smart speakers. First of all, they don't need wires, so that's a big deal. The second thing is they're smart, so they understand how many speakers are in the system that are connected. And what they do is they're shooting up and around. It's not the same thing as having an 11.1.4 system, but you do get the feeling. So that's kind of the great hope of it, but I don't know that it's actually going to to pan out like that. Yeah. You know, and then uh, headphones, people think, well, you know, everyone wears headphones, their earbuds, that maybe that's the way. I got a question for you that I, I remember thinking, because, you know, I did musicals in the 90s after I left Sonora and I went uh, to Europe, I was doing musicals for about eight years. And I always thought, wouldn't it be cool? I used to pan when an actor was walking across stage. I'd pan them with Pampod. It's before digital. Then I go, wouldn't it be great if some, they could make some kind of receiver that knew could follow you across the stage? And I've actually heard that there is something like that now where the actors move around and it, it uh, pans them left and right. I, I don't know. I haven't done any research on it, but I thought it was a great idea. And I was wondering, uh, I thought I saw something about it online. Yeah, I don't know that for a fact, but it doesn't seem like it'd be too difficult to do. Not these days. It'd be great for a theater, you know, give you the, the uh, motion, you know. I, I, I'd love to do, do some more orchestra dates and some bigger venue dates, you know. That's where right now... I'm really looking. I mean, I'm doing a lot of this. I went from the jazz fusion thing down to the smooth jazz thing or up to it, whatever. And it's keeping me busy. But, you know, I feel that I'm capable of offering more experience to people, like mixing an 80 or 90 piece orchestra in a 10,000 seat hall for me is like, okay, I've done it a million times. So I'd like to get those kind of specialty gigs. I just don't know where to get them. Last thing then, so you're on my podcast number one, and 100 and 200, I think. This is coming up with 400 here. Wow. So that's uh, eight years, and we've known each other much longer than that, but in the eight years, what's the most significant thing that changed for you? Less. It's the studio work demand is going down. Uh, more in the box and more convenience, you know, people are going for the convenient way out i don't know if that's due to economics or i don't think it's due to creative choices but how about live live um that's funny because eight or ten years ago when i started working with the persian singer i was doing things that i've never seen done before and now everybody's doing them like front fills on the lip of the stage on an aug sand mono i did that on the first show with her, they go, well, you can't hear anything in the front row. Those are thousand dollar a seat tickets. You know, you can't hear her voice. We're done. No, those ones up top will, you know, they won't. So I put those in, made them, put them in. Uh, first show I did with her was in Vancouver, probably 10 or 12 years ago. I'm not working with her anymore. They have new management, new deal, but I made them put floor wedges across the front 
pointed at the audience on an auction. Then I ordered low profile uh, boxes to go across and I put more of them than you'd think. And they really, uh, you know, now I see everybody doing that, but I, I didn't see that before. So live, everybody's kind of getting on the same place now, you know, so the rest of it's just ability to mix uh, and not technical. I'm sure there's things that I'm probably going to talk to you tomorrow and go, hey, I forgot. You can find out more about Dennis at DennisMoody.com. That's Dennis, D-E-N-N-I-S, Moody, M-O-O-D-Y, all one word, dot com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyownercircle.com, or you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyownercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bobby Osinski.